NASA's Crew-5 splashes down, the White House proposes $27 billion, and the world's first 3D-printed rocket goes for orbit. You'll find it all right here on Space Week. Hello, everyone. We're your hosts, Paul Miller. And Blake Brown. And welcome to our very first episode. Right into our first topic. Uh, this happened yesterday. Crew 5 returned after five months in space. Wow, five months. That's a really long time. Yep, it was about, a, I think it was an October launch for them. First, first week of October. So yeah. we're now in the, I guess, second week of March. Yeah, so about, yeah, a little over five months. Um, but on board were our four astronauts, uh, pilot Josh Casada. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher some names here, by the way. <laughs> um, mission commander Nicole Mann, uh, who ended up being the first Native American woman up in space. So that's, right. that's pretty cool. Um, and then Russian cosmonaut Anna Kikina. 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 I can never get that right. That's okay. I literally had to watch a video and I still we, can't get yeah, it right. Yeah, we looked it up. <laughs> Anyways, uh, another first for her, first cosmonaut to fly on a private American spacecraft. So yep. being that it was the Dragon capsule, that qualified and that set that record for her. And then, of course, last but not least, uh, Kochi Wakata uh, was his fifth return from space. This is a new Japanese record. That's a lot of returns. <laughs> a lot of returns, <laughs> right? So he actually, I believe, um, now this may be an old number, but he's been up there now for, I want to say, combined 500 plus days, 505, something like that. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, a long time up there. Um, so, like a year and two thirds of a... Yeah, total total time up there. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty pretty neat stuff. So anyway, so they returned um, after their, their five-month mission on board the ISS, uh, helping along with Expedition 68. Um, so part of that was studying microgravity's effects on the cardiorespiratory system, which sounds kind of complicated. Um, but basically, they were looking at heart tissue and to to look at spaceflight related issues with uh, with. With, with just the heart, or was it also including like the lungs and stuff? Well, I'm sure I'm sure it included the lungs. I mean, when you think like cardiorespiratory, you know, they go hand in hand. So. Yeah, looking at spaceflight caused health issues with, you know, longer missions. Right. So things like going to the moon on Artemis or, you know, an eventual mission to Mars. Right. So so longer missions and things like that. So they were looking at that uh, as well as kind of st staying on the medical topic here, 3D bioprinting of human organs and tissues uh, for implantation. Now, what they mean by implants, I don't know. So I don't Maybe know if they're like knee replacement surgery in space. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, right. So I know NASA's been working on things like this for a while. They, yeah, they've been growing organic tissues up in zero G, and so this has been going on. So I don't know what their research is on it now. If it's you know got implementation in space or whether it's going to be down on earth i have i have no idea it might just be a study of how the cells come together in zero g versus on the ground because you know we've been able to like 3d print organs down on the ground for a little bit i'm not sure how long or like the timeline on that or anything like that but i do remember recall reading some articles about that and i thought that was pretty cool yeah i mean it's pretty cool stuff either way i mean if you can grow human tissue that's 
you know, has been decayed and can literally implant it in somebody. I mean, that's that's pretty neat stuff. A yeah. little scary, not going to lie, but, <laughs> but still pretty cool, right? Hey, you know, science is scary and cool at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's that's how it is. So anyway, so yeah. So like I said, they're back and uh, yeah, pretty neat stuff. Glad they're home and safe and sound. So moving on, um, you were looking at this, the the White House and their proposal now for, for new NASA funding. Yes, that's correct. So this fiscal year for the White House's budget, they proposed a budget increase for NASA for $27.2 billion, up from $25.4 billion of last year. Yeah, see, that's a lot. I mean, you think $27 billion, but they were at, what, $25.4, you said, last 25. year? 25.4. Yes, yeah. that's correct. So the articles I was reading made it sound like it was primarily a budget increase to keep up with inflation. Okay. But, you know, more money for NASA. We always like that, don't yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the budget increase includes increasing funding for the Artemis missions, which approximately $8 billion of that budget goes specifically to Artemis, in which Artemis II is scheduled to launch in 2024. NASA recently released a statement that the results from Artemis I were nominal and have given the go-ahead to send astronauts on a flyby moon, flyby mission to the moon in Artemis II. Yeah. And we're I going s- back to the moon, dude. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, right? It's, it's about time. It's about time. I mean... When was the last time we've been to the moon? The 70s, right? Early 70s? Oh, God, don't quiz me on the last Apollo year. <laughs> oh, don't do that. You should know these things. <laughs> I should. <laughs> um, but anyways, so yeah, uh, on that topic uh, with with um, Artemis, uh, what was I going to say? I don't know. Continue. We'll come back to it. But All right, uh, there we'll was something on my it. mind. But anyways, later on, after I believe Artemis 2, they're planning on more Artemis missions that will include a lander. Right. So we're going to land on the moon. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah, I actually saw that, uh, speaking of Artemis 2, that they did end up selecting their crew for that now. Now, I don't know the names. I, I didn't really look into it yet. So maybe we'll have that here next week. But I believe NASA did finally select their astronauts for that flyby for Mission 2. That's great. Two. That's exciting for them. Right. Approximately $1 billion of that budget is for a Mars mission. Ooh. We're going to be bringing back samples from Mars. That's going to be cool. So, you know, people go, you know, okay, great. We're bringing back more rocks, right? More rocks. More rocks. But, you know, geologists are probably super excited for this. Um, you know, we, we get anytime we have a meteor fall or uh, moon rocks, you know, from the moon, you can sit there and look at that chemical composition and basically help determine the origins of the solar system and and right. really our universe it's pretty cool stuff the things that you can discover from rocks yeah yeah for sure and you know rocks from on mars could also point to how mars was formed and stuff like that exactly and then also on a mars mission topic let's talk about like soil samples and how we can maybe take that soil sample that we're bringing back from mars um, I think we could potentially m- learn more about the first humans on Mars and how they'll be able to deal with their survival whenever they do end up going. Yeah, yeah. When you first said that, I was like, humans on Mars. I'm like, where are you <laughs> going with this? No, I, I get what you mean. When, so when they finally do go to Mars, right, what's the soil composition? Will we be able to use it 
to grow the things that we want to grow on yeah, Mars? Are we or going are to we have, have to, to haul soil up there? Exactly. That's right where I was going, right? Are we going to have to bring soil from Earth or some sort of nutrients that the the dirt basically on on Mars lacks to to be able to grow things there right, while they're yeah. there? Yeah. So it's very, very cool and interesting stuff. Yep. More in that budget is, and this is a very sad topic to talk about, uh, they're beginning the process of building a tug to deorbit the International Space Station. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of like a mixed emotion, bittersweet sort of thing, right? Yeah, you and, know, you know, it's the it's the space station. I remember being a little kid, and every time I heard about it, I was always super excited. Like, oh, what are they learning? What what did they study and all that stuff? And watching the spacewalks and just watching videos on the space station. Right, exactly. I mean, it was so cool. I mean, from the shuttle missions and putting it all together, you know, and all these nations coming together to build this one thing. It was just really quite cool. All the different modules and, and everything you look at with it and everything that they've been able to do and discover is yeah. just really neat. So to see it go really sucks, but I get it. We have to move forward. And, you know, it's a financial thing too. You know, how long can you really keep it up there? It's at its end of life. It definitely is. So the uh, the Russians that helped originally build it announced that the instrumentation on board is way past its expiration date. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So the original lifespan of the space station was supposed to be 15 years. They launched it or they finished assembly or something back in 2000, November of 2000. Um, and it was supposed to be deorbited in 2015. Gotcha. They extended it by 10 years not too long ago, and it's getting about that time. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, like I said, I mean, it's how long do you want to keep it up and, 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 and keep the upkeep and maintenance on it? I mean, sure, you look at modern day aircraft and stuff too, it's the same thing. I mean, you look at like the Boeing 737, you know, Boeing came out with the Max, and it's like, how far can you push this airframe, right? The avionics have been updated a little bit, but still most of it's still old and antiquated compared to other things coming out. And I'm not just talking about Airbus, you know, you got corporate aircraft too, where all yeah. these new innovations are coming out. And it's how much can you change what's already there and how, you know, how much time and money is it worth doing that when you can, you know, start over with something new? Yeah, it's like how we went from the 747 to the 777 and the 787. Right, right, exactly. So anyways, yeah, so it's just kind of this bittersweet thing. But uh, going back on the top of that tug, so they're using it for the ISS, right? But were they going to do anything else with it when they're done? I do believe that they were planning on using it for further transportation missions. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Like, I want to know but because I'm just curious on what they want to do. But that tug could do so many things i'm sure it's going to be a rather large rocket i'd imagine oh i bet yeah because and and i'm surprised i thought that they could just do a burn to deorbit right but i i mean i don't know i don't i i guess you can't just like turn the space station around <laughs> i mean maybe you can i know you can steer it a little bit yeah i believe the thrusters that they have on board would probably they're not very high-powered thrusters. Right, so it may not be enough so to might not burn be for enough a deorbit. burn for a deorbit before they're out of fuel, essentially. That's that. Yeah, that could be that could be a problem. Yeah, so I'm just surprised to see if they're going to be building a tug, but that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Anyways, this was going to be specifically for NASA because the Russians, or 
rather, NASA didn't want to rely on the Russians to be able to deorbit the thing. Okay. Um, they just, I guess they're losing faith in the Russian Soyuz aircraft because they've been having some issues with those. Maybe the quality is just going downhill. That's, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we look at the latest mishap, and I'm not going to blame this on on the Soyuz at all, um, but the latest mishap that some of you may have seen with the uh, the small leak that was discovered in the Soyuz that, that went to the ISS recently was due to, I guess, like a small meteoroid, meteorite, whatever you call the smallest thing that's going to hit that. Right. You know, it's not like a giant hole that's gashing in it, but it could have happened to any brand new capsule up there. It really could have. So, you know, wrong with that. Yeah. So, you know, we're not going to sit here and, you know, bash the Soyuz for anything. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like is NASA's wanting to, you know, keep this in-house and do it themselves uh, versus reaching out to a, another agency. Correct. Yeah. Also included in that budget is funding for studying the reduction of space junk. So you know how you were talking about meteorites? Let's yeah. Let's talk about space junk. Yeah. There's going to be a huge desire coming up with the uh, burgeoning space industry to protect satellites and reduce the risk of any collisions that we might have in space. The ISS recently had to make an orbital adjustment in order to avoid a commercial imaging satellite, or new Sat-17. And although the satellite was going to be 2.7 kilometers away, or 1.7 miles from the satellite, the maneuver was made as thrusters were already activated. They decided, I guess... To... Oh, so they were already like in the middle of a burn, and I guess they just kind of changed their trajectory to help avoid it? I believe the thrusters were like turned on and ready to go, and they said, you know what? Go it's ahead and safe. fire it. Yeah. Might as well just go ahead and do it. It wasn't going to affect any of the uh, approaching uh, aircraft or spacecraft. spacecraft. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so they said, you know what? Margin of safety. Let's do it. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Some people might think 1.7 miles isn't that plenty of room, but really up there in the vast vacuum of space, it's really not. I, I mean, mean, let's talk about like, you know, the, the, si the distance between Earth and the moon we can fit all the planets in our solar system in between that so that 1.7 miles or 2.7 kilometers is really just an atom of space relative to what it could be right exactly and uh so yeah i mean it's just crazy to think about but uh but yeah now on that topic uh moving on to our next thing here so spacex actually launched 40 more satellites for OneWeb. This is a broadband company out of the UK. And it's their final dedicated launch for this. What that means is OneWeb, their satellites were the only payload on board. That's there, right. Yeah. yeah. So there will be more missions for this in the future, but it won't be the only payload. It's going to be shared with other contracts. Yeah. So, but yeah, so SpaceX launched 40 more of these satellites, which makes OneWeb one launch away from having global coverage. Now, they're currently at 582 of these things, and they need 588. So just oh, six more. And it's like, oh, man, you couldn't pack like just six more on that thing? I'm guessing it was that payload capacity or like right there. Right. So, um, but yeah, so when you think about it, just this one company now is going to have close to 600 satellites up around Earth. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about space junk. I mean, really, it's... 
it accumulates very quickly. It's not just satellites. It's leftover fairings and stuff from rockets, um, leftover rocket bodies. And of course, it's all tracked, but it just makes it more and more difficult to get things past that low Earth orbit or somewhere within there and find a launch window. Yeah, just imagine like, you know the scene from WALL-E, right? Yeah. Where they're launching out of Earth and then they just crash into all these satellites. That's the path that we're headed down right now with all of these satellite launches. Right. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a dramatized thing, but I mean, it's true. You know, that's kind of where we're going. So it goes back to that whole lighthouse thing of, you know, we we got to find some way to clean this stuff up. I mean. And, you know, with the space industry, I'd imagine one day there's going to be like space junkers is a job or something right, like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just launching commercial space tow trucks up there. And, and they just deorbit the junk and let it burn up in the atmosphere or I don't know. I yeah. don't know how they're going to handle that. Yeah. I mean that, yeah. Cause when you talk about cleanup, it's like, okay, you launch one thing up there and it kind of pushes it down and then you got to burn up the other one that you just sent up there. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's a tough challenge. That's yeah. why they're funding the study for it. So we'll figure it out. Yep. Um, so anyways, so with OneWeb, there are only six satellite launches, satellite launches, <laughs> dividing <laughs> words here, six satellites away. And their next launch is going to be this month as well. And it's going to be coming from India with 36 satellites on board. So we need six, right? And we're going to have 30 extra. So those 30 extra will be spares for that entire array. And then they'll have total global coverage for their broadband internet. And then they'll have some backups in case one goes down or something. Right, exactly. And then, like I said earlier, SpaceX will launch more OneWeb satellites in the future, but they'll be on board with with other cargo. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it on on that. So... More you, rocket launches. More rocket launches. So this was on, I want to say, Tuesday. I, launched, I, watched, I didn't watch it live. I watched the video yesterday when I got home. Um... But Japan's H-3 rocket launch failed on Tuesday after the second stage didn't ignite. So like I said, I watched this and we'll try and post this later on on social media or the website. It's all under construction right now, guys. So just be aware. But about eight minutes in, um, you know, after launch, right? T plus eight minutes. Right. The second stage ignition signal was not received. So what had happened was the second stage actually separated like it was supposed to, right? First stage went up, went out, separated, boom, you're on second stage. But they never got a signal to confirm that the second stage actually lit. Right. So now they're left with this question of, did it light? And it's still moving up there without our command? Or did it not light at all? And now it's going to be on this ballistic trajectory back down to Earth. Yeah, that's... They ended up detonating, right? Right, right. So they decided the safest thing to do was to send a destruction command to the rocket, detonate it, and and, yeah, self-destruct. So, you know, it's a sad thing, but they were really good sports about it. Um, And of course, you know, they're going to have another attempt in the future. Unfortunately, the payload, which I think was maybe a small commercial satellite, I'm not sure... Um, it, it was lost, of course. That's that's the price you got to pay sometimes. These rockets, they have to be super precise. Right. There's so many things that could go wrong. Right. And but, it's just unfortunate because we always like seeing rockets... Succeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prevail and not fail the way that this one did. And, you know, it could have just been a faulty center, sensor. 
or it could have been something else. Right. However, you said that they still were receiving like altitude, but its speed was slowing down or something like that. Yes, they were still actually when this when the second stage signal was lost, they still had some telemetry going okay. on and you could see that the altitude was still climbing, but the speed at which the rocket was traveling was beginning to decrease, which led them to the idea that hey, maybe this didn't light at all. Um, so it's just like throwing a baseball or something, right? You throw it and you're that thrust. And now all of a sudden, once it leaves your hands, it's going to keep climbing until it loses energy and falls back down. That's exactly what was happening with the rocket. Yeah. Because the baseball no longer has thrust, it can't just keep going. Right. Exactly. So yeah. So good question. Um, so yeah, they did have some telemetry there, but again, they weren't sure, had to make the safe play and that's what they ended up doing. Yeah. Because, you know, bottom line is, is we don't want to, we don't want anyone to be hurt. Right. Now, here's something I also, speaking of their telemetry, here's something interesting I did see, and you had a very good answer for this. So when they first launched, what I, what I found was they launched with what looked like, I couldn't quite tell from their map, but it looked like kind of an eastbound heading. And then it made a curving, you know, like a wide turn to the south, almost like a, they were going for sort of a polar orbit. And I kind of asked myself, why would you launch out to the east and then turn south? Wouldn't you waste energy versus just coming off the pad and making that turn to the south immediately? Yeah. So my understanding with that is the fact that the Earth's rotation, they're using the Earth's rotation to add energy to the rocket. Gotcha. So in that way, they're saving some fuel because they're not fighting against the uh, the rotation of the Earth. They're adding it to the rocket rather than trying to fight against it. Gotcha. Right. So it's it's assisting it. Yeah. And so, again, we don't know if that's the surefire answer, but it sure sounded good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember reading that a long time ago. It's just, it's been years yeah, since I've and read something like that. I might be wrong here, and maybe that's why they call it a gravity turn, right? Potentially. You know, you're using a gravity-assisted turn to turn your rocket in the direction you want to go. So yeah, anyways, um, sad thing with that. But hey, you know, they're going to give it another shot later on and we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it goes. On to our main story this week, uh, Relativity Space. Relativity Space, the world's first 3D printed rocket. That's right. Well, at least almost fully 3D printed. I believe it's 85 percent or 86 percent 3d printed yeah yeah we'll get to the tiny numbers there but (laughs) but yeah something like you know 80 some odd percent 3d printed it's really cool so relativity space is this company based in uh long beach california and they've been producing these 3d rockets and their parts uh using what they're calling their stargate printer right and so these can produce like we said their first fully 3D printed rocket. It's called Terran 1. And later on, they're going to try and go for a reusable rocket called Terran R, which is pretty neat. You know, I thought the uh, the Terran 1 itself was reusable. Or is that not? Beats me. I don't know. That's how they <laughs> described it on their website. It's just the, yeah, right. Okay. So the Terran R is the reusable one. I guess that's what the R stands for. Yeah. I'm Yeah. Yeah. So they're boasting that this printer can produce these rockets in as little as 60 days, which is pretty crazy. Now, I don't know if that's how quickly they actually produced it, but that's what they boast on their website is 60 days to produce one of these things. 
um, which is which is pretty incredible. Yeah. According to their website, traditional rockets in comparison can take twenty four months more, twenty four months or more to build. That's insane. So you're so, looking at yeah, you yeah. know, sixty days versus two years. Two years. So two months versus two years, dude. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty crazy stuff. Other things that they kind of brag about are uh, part count reductions. They talk about faster design iteration and optimization, real-time inspection, because you can literally just watch this thing being made. And uh, as well as they're kind of delving into machine learning. And I'm not really sure how that ties into play. But again, you know, that's that's what they say. It might be all marketing terms, but like we want that. Right? Yeah. We yeah. want better, faster rockets. Or faster production rockets. Right, because right. Because two months versus two years, I mean, you're talking about such big cost savings. Because in the grand scheme of things, if you're only paying for two months or eight months, you said, with the uh, integration as well? Oh, yeah. So with their integration time. So now I don't know what they're calling this. Oh, well, they called it iteration. I'm guessing it's the time from rocket build to testing and fully launch capable. So they're saying their iteration time for relativity is six months versus 48 months with traditional builds. So now we're talking half a year versus four whole years. Wow. The whole thing altogether for relativity with their 3D printed rocket would be eight months for build and iteration versus the six years for a traditional rocket. I mean, you know, just think about that. That's insane. I mean, you're Eight months versus six years. Imagine the cost savings from not having to pay for six years of rocket development. Instead of six years, it's only eight months. It's just that much faster. Exactly. And far fewer parts. You know, they're saying that their part count is just something like a thousand parts or under versus the, you know, 100,000 plus that you could see. Right. Usually. So that's another thing. And then including even the engines alone, the engines are 3D printed as well. Yeah, that's correct. And they can also gimbal around and everything. They've been tested. They've passed. They're doing great so far, it seems, because they're attempting to launch it. It's just that these last two attempts, they've had to scrub due to various small reasons. Right. They've had some hiccups. And yeah, and and these these engines are pretty neat because they're pretty ambitious, really, because they're actually going to be burning liquid methane, which would set another record for relativity if they can do it, is they'll be the first methane-burning rocket to reach orbit, along with the first 3D-printed rocket to reach orbit if they That's can right. succeed in time. Um, before, I believe, Starship, and one other. I want to say that there was actually a Chinese rocket that was burning methane that failed to make it to orbit um, earlier on. Yeah. Talking about their launch attempts, you know, let's let's kind of go over that and talk about maybe what went wrong. On Wednesday was their first attempt. That's correct. And they they nicknamed the mention GLHF. And for those of you who aren't gamers, that's good luck, have fun. And I mean, it's a pretty good attitude to have with something like this, right? Yeah. You know, a we're just going to go for it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We're going to continue to innovate and move forward. So it's pretty, pretty good attitude there. And it's this was an orbital test for Terran 1, which is designed to carry small satellites into LEO, you know, low Earth orbit, for those of you who don't know. And the CEO of Relativity, Tim Ellis, had actually said 
you know, along with the attitude here, has said that if the rocket just makes it through max Q, which is the maximum, you know, structural stress on the rocket during launch, he'd be happy. So it's, you know, yeah. if we don't make it to orbit, big deal. We tried. If we can just make this thing through that max, you know, max Q, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, and then Terran R will be tested next year, I believe. And it's capable of carrying a much higher payload capacity. So it's a much bigger rocket. Yeah, it's gonna be a bigger rocket. So Terran One's like something like a little over a hundred feet tall and can only carry something like two thousand pounds. They're saying Terran R will carry close to 44,000 pounds, I believe. That's a big difference. Which is a huge difference and stand a little over 200 feet tall. So, you know, almost, you know, it's twice as big. Yep. Now, on Wednesday, just 70 seconds prior to launch, now Blake and I were watching the launch, you know, if, if we can, if, if you know, if, if we, if have we the can, time. we will. So just 70 seconds prior to launch, an automatic abort was triggered for a propellant over temp. So when you're watching the launch, the you got the T minus countdown, and at 70 seconds, you we saw a hold, right? Yeah. And we're sitting there like, what's going on? What happened? And they come on and they say, hey, our launch director has said this is for propellant over temp. We're going to attempt to recycle. And what that means is we're going to attempt to restart this thing and try again. Yeah, just redo the checklist, essentially. Exactly. So we're just going to kind of restart the sequence and, and continue on, which we're like, okay, cool. You know, big deal. We got a propellant over temp. It's going to fix. Awesome. We're going, right? So when attempting to recycle for a second attempt, though, the launch was scrubbed, which sucks, after stage two LOX temperatures exceeded their limits. So what LOX is, is liquid oxygen. So before I was talking about liquid methane being the fuel. Yeah. Well, you got to have oxidizer on board because there's no oxygen in space and there's no air intake on these things, you know, when you're going through the atmosphere. So you got to have an oxidizer and a fuel for these rockets to burn. So they're using methane and oxygen and call it methyl ox or what you want. So the LOX temperatures exceeded their limits. Now, the reason that this is a problem is methane and oxygen in a gaseous state take up a lot of volume, right? Yeah. So with that increased volume, you've got to have bigger tanks on the rocket, which adds more weight and more weight on a rocket is a problem. So you condense it all down to, and you cool it to a temperature to keep it in a liquid form. If you can't keep it at a cold enough temperature for it to stay a liquid, then there's a chance that it could expand back into a gas and explode. It on could the pad. it could have potentially you know lead to something like that. It could overpressurize a tank. I'm sure they have like purge valves or something for that just in case. But it's definitely an issue and a no go. So that's what they ended up having happen on their second attempt was those LOX temperatures exceeding their high limits. Now, according to an article I found with CNBC, Relativity determined that the automatic abort at the 72nd mark was due to the rocket software that was later upgraded for the second launch um, on Saturday. And we'll get to that. And that the LOX temps were due to a faulty valve in the ground equipment. So it wasn't even Relativity's fault here. It was a faulty valve in the ground equipment that feeds the locks to the rocket that that went wrong so yeah yeah it's very unfortunate that they had to scrub that first launch however they did they did try again on saturday or yesterday and i was able to watch that you had to work which is yeah. unfortunate and that launch 
was also scrubbed. Yeah, that's... and it was very disappointing because <laughs> they ignited the boosters. Right, they actually got as far as igniting they, the engines. They, didn't they ignited the boosters, man, and then they they had to abort right then and there. It was like a half second after you know you saw the boosters on screen, and then you're like, oh, it's about to go, and it didn't. And it didn't. <laughs> like, why you no go to space today? Right, right. So yeah, so like Blake said, um, and yeah, he was lucky enough to to watch the launch. Unfortunately, though, it didn't happen. So hopefully, when it does happen, we'll both get to see it. Yeah, that'd be great. But they had a three hour window on Saturday, which isn't very big. It's not, and it was initially delayed uh, due to high level winds. So the winds in the upper atmosphere were too strong for a safe launch, and you know that can be an issue um, for those of you not aware. When the rocket's traveling through the upper atmosphere, if you've got high-level winds in one direction that could tip the rocket off course, or you've got kind of a wind shear scenario going on where winds at one altitude are traveling eastbound and the winds at the next altitude are traveling northbound and stuff, it can kind of rock the the rocket, you know, off course. Or you can have, you know, any kind of other scenarios. I mean, think about when you're in a commercial airliner and you hit some pretty bad turbulence. Now think about doing that with a rocket traveling past the speed of sound. It's not good. It's not good at all. So they delayed for these wins, and then they finally had their first attempt on Saturday. And it was aborted due to a supposed boat entering the safety area, safety radius of the launch range. Um, So I'm just kind of like imagining, you know, Billy Bob out there (laughs) on his fishing boat having a good time. And uh, not realizing where he's at and what he's doing there. Yeah, he's just out there fishing. And then he turns around and he's like, ooh, pretty rocket. He takes out his phone camera and is like, ooh, snap. Or, you know, yeah, like I kind of wonder, you know, like if the Coast Guard or something had to go out and find whoever that was. Or if, you know, it was just like a blip. It did last a little bit, though. I was, yeah, I was watching it live. And then whenever they announced that um, there was a vessel in their local safe area. I thought it was a pilot flying a little Cessna 172 or something into restricted airspace. Oh, like into a TFR. So yeah. So for those of you, uh, TFR is a temporary flight restriction, and that'll be posted around any rocket launch, right? It's like an area that you can't enter with an, with an aircraft. Moving forward from there, launch attempt number two. So that was launch attempt number one. And then launch attempt number two had another automatic abort, uh, less than half a second prior to liftoff. So this is what you were talking about. Yeah. So the nine Aeon engines actually ignited and then immediately shut down. And launch director Clay Walker said this was due to a, quote, launch commit criteria violation. If you're kind of like scratching your head, what the heck does that mean? And it was later said that this was an error in stage separation. I kind of wonder, is that a problem where... They're getting something that says the first stage and the second stage won't separate. Is second stage having an issue where it's going, I can't ignite? You know, what's going on? But bottom line was the nine A engines lit and then immediately shut down. Now that leaves me with this question, right? What happens if that occurs with something like a solid rocket booster? Right. Because... Our rockets, a lot of our rockets right now are liquid fueled. We were talking about this being methane and oxygen, and you're able to actually uh, throttle the engines back and shut them down if you have to, depending on you know the stage of flight. Well, with a solid rocket booster, 
once it's lit, it's going. Yeah, There's it's no like stopping a, it. Like a sparkler that you would have on the 4th of July or something. Right. It's it's like a firework. It's like a Roman candle. Once you light it, it's it's going. So, you know, what happens if if this were to happen with a rocket that had solid rocket boosters on the side where you sit there and you got your countdown and you're ready to go and you light the engines, you light the boosters and you go, oh, wait a minute, we need to stop. You know, does the gantry have enough power to keep that rocket does down have on enough the ground? clamping force? Yeah, and exactly. Will it not fail? Right. All the boosters going because that's a that's a really long burn right there. Right, right. So you're just going to sit there with the rocket on the pad, burning away the boosters if it can even handle it. And then my question kind of was, well, what does that ha- you know? What if it happens in the air where you've got to shut down the engines? I don't know for whatever reason, but the rocket boosters keep going. Now, of course, if you're it's just a cargo launch, you know, you could send like a destruct command, but you know, if you got a capsule on board. When do you decide to to leave the rocket? I guess maybe right away. I, I would hope so. They have launch escape systems on board, right? In most of these rockets, right? And then the space shuttle was different, though. Right, right. So the space shuttle was different, where the space shuttle had the boosters on the side, and then you had the big auxiliary tank on the belly. And so you know, if the space shuttle's going up and needs to abort, you know, how does that happen? So I don't know. It just kind of leaves these questions in my head. And if anybody knows, you know, hey, let us know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just kind of started thinking about that. What do you do if you got solid boosters while the rocket's A, still on the pad, and B, up in the air? And then finally, um, they did actually try for a third attempt, and it was aborted due to low fuel pressures in stage two again. Yes, it was aborted at T minus 45 seconds, and it was only one PSI too low. Really? Just one PSI? Yeah. That's what they posted on their Twitter. Do you know if that was the locks again, or was that the methane this time? I don't think they specified. They didn't? Okay. Um, now, as far as I know, although I think you got Twitter up right now, do they have a new launch window or anything set? This is not their Twitter. This is a screenshot of their Twitter. Oh, well, there you go. That I <laughs> saved it for later. So, <laughs> um, I have not checked their Twitter today, but I'd imagine they probably put out an announcement on when they're going to try again gotcha gotcha okay so with that wrapped up we've now talked about the crew five nasa's new budget and a pretty exciting time in the 3d printed rocket sector yeah and you know hopefully like we said we'll see a a future rocket launch here in the in the near future but anyways everybody uh thanks for listening if you got any questions or comments for us, you can contact us at contact at spaceweek.co. That's C-O, not C-O-M. Turns out domain names are kind of expensive. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, we'll uh, see you guys next time.